This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. The Centers for Disease Control and its international partners have made significant progress in eliminating polio worldwide over the past 26 years. The number of worldwide polio cases has fallen from an estimated 350,000 in 1988 to only 407 in 2013. That's a decline of more than 99% in reported cases. But that was not so in the 1950s in this country. And today there are individuals still feeling the effects of their bout with this powerful disease. It's been called post-polio syndrome. And here to tell us more about it is Dr. Burke Jubelt. He's professor of neurology as well as professor of microbiology, immunology, and neuroscience at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Jubelt. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, Linda. Help us understand, put this in context, give us a sense of polio, kind of the history of where it, where it started, what we know about it. And as far as we know, it actually occurred in ancient times. They're, they used to make uh, you know, stone pictures, pictures in stone, and there are pictures of people who had like a, um, a, a small limb on one side of the body, small leg uh, that was atrophied and, and never developed. And that's what you'd see in the old cases way back then of infantile paralysis, which the disease was like infantile paralysis up until we started having epidemics in the 18, late 1800s. Um, and when the epidemics <clears throat> hit, did they hit everywhere, I mean, worldwide, or was it located in certain areas? And, and when did they, how frequently did they occur? So the epidemic started like around 1840s, 1850s, and then... Uh, and, and it, it it could hit different locations around the world. And then in the United States, we started having epidemics in, a little bit in the late 1800s, but primarily the 1900s um, that, it, that epidemics occurred. And they actually peaked in 1952 in the United States when there were over 21,000 cases of paralytic polio, which is a huge, huge number. Um, and can you just help us un just understand what polio really is? Is it a virus that then strikes, and how is it transmitted? Just briefly. Yeah, so polio polio is a virus. It was recognized to be a virus in the late or in the early 1900s, like 1908. There were studies where they isolated the virus from uh, people and injected animals, and were able to reproduce the disease. Um, the virus is part of their three types of polio virus. It's also part of the antivirus group. There are viruses that Coxsackie virus and echovirus that usually only cause meningitis, but you may have, may have heard of those too. Um, so when the virus basically hits, it's transmitted, again, is it orally transmitted? Is it through air transmission? Right, so it, it's primarily transmitted uh, in the gastrointestinal tract and in, in the stool. Um, and so that's how it gets spread from one person to the next. Usually it's little kids who don't wash their hands very well, and they touch silverware and things like that and, and pass it on that way, and that's how the epidemics uh, develop. And the biggest one, as you said, in our country was in the 1950s, and we have currently people today who are alive who have survived that epidemic and who are suffering from this post-polio 
um, syndrome, which I want to get to in one moment, but help us understand how the vaccine, when it came on the scene, and how it's transformed, because there mm -hmm. have been some new changes as well. Right. I just want to say one other thing about the epidemics, just to explain that. So in ancient times, people were exposed to poliovirus when they were infants, and that's where the term infantile paralysis came from. So there weren't huge epidemics like we had in the 1900s. And um, so what happened is this hygiene improved in the developed countries. People weren't exposed to the virus till they were teenagers or adults. And when you're a teenager or adult, you're much more susceptible to really? disease, to you the would disease. You would think otherwise, wouldn't you? Right, but infants, you know, they got exposed shortly after birth and only a small percentage developed any paralysis. And then as you got older, a huge number became paralyzed. And the other thing is that when you were infants, when they would have disease, it usually only involved one extremity. While with older, um, you know, teenagers and adults, it oftentimes involved three or four extremities. Uh, One of the most famous cases, as we know, is FDR. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> we had both as legs an adult. involved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, again, the vaccine. So the vaccine. Yep. The first one was SOC. Was the SOC vaccine, the inactivated poliovirus vaccine, which was started uh, being given in the late in late 1954, in November and December, and then primarily all through 1955, uh, everybody was vaccinated. And did that stem the tide? Markedly decreased mm -hmm. the number. I mean, the number went from, like I mentioned, the 21,000 or so all the way down to we were down to, you know, less than 1,000 cases a year. So it was an enormous breakthrough Correct. scientifically and medically. Correct. But why did the Sabin vaccine then have to be developed. What was the problem with the SOC vaccine? The problem with the SOC vaccine is it didn't provide gastrointestinal immunity, so immunity in your intestines. And because of that, the virus still could be spread from one person to another in the stool. So the SOC vaccine was taken orally, so then it produced immunity in the intestines. Oh, you mean the Sabin vaccine? I'm sorry, the yes, Sabin, Sabin vaccine. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the oral polio vaccine, the Sabin vaccine. But today we're having an issue. I want to just get to this quickly. There's a change now worldwide. We've obviously, through this, so the, is the Sabin the one that's being used basically worldwide to suppress polio? Correct, correct. There's, and um, and the, the oral polio vaccine then was used like up in the United States up till 2000. Um, and then other, there, in, recently in this poliovirus vaccine switch, which occurred in April of this year, there's like 155 countries in the world that are using the oral polio vaccine. The United States converted to inactivated polio vaccine in 2000, but all these other countries are still using the oral polio vaccine. So the inactivated is still a third type then? You're saying there was the SOC, the Sabin, and now is there's a new type? Well, there's... There's not a new, t I have to explain it. Uh, you know, there's three types of poliovirus. And so there's poliovirus type one, two, and three. And so in the oral polio vaccine, all three are mixed together and given, okay? And so what happened is, is because they were still using oral live vaccine, people started getting cases of polio from the vaccine. Oh. That was in the, especially in the 80s and 90s. And 1980s that's what, and 90s. Right, yeah. and that's why people have pushed to um, make this polio vaccine switch, which has occurred in April of this year. And what was done is that um, 
the, the type 1 and type 3 viruses were can still continued in the vaccine, and the type 2 was dropped out because it turned out it was the type 2 that was causing most of the per paralytic cases. So now there's even a, a better and more effective vaccine worldwide, and it, this it's it's been almost 99% suppressed, and you right. think that that should really Correct. continue. Yeah. I want to get to post-polio. So what is <laughs> post-polio syndrome? So post-polio syndrome um, is a syndrome that occurs in patients who had had acute polio, usually in childhood or adolescence. And then the, if you look at the time frame, 30 to 40 years after they had their polio, they start getting new symptoms again. So they recover. Some of even played sports and stuff like that when they were, you know, 20 years old or 25. And then when they get to be 60, 50, 60, they start having new symptoms, which are fatigue, pain, and primarily new weakness. Wow. The if weakness comes back. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with neurologist Dr. Burke Jubelt. We're talking about post-polio syndrome. So they become paralyzed again? Well, it's, it's a gradual thing. It's not acute like the original polio was. It's slowly progressive over years. But they do get n new weakness again. So, um, what, Why? What causes that? Well, what's thought is that it actually, if you... When you were, had your polio, it was important to work hard to try to, you know, correct the weakness, do a lot of exercises, and that actually seemed to work. But what happens later in life, the nerve cells that sent out new sprouts, new nerve sprouts to take over muscles that had lost their nerve input, um, are now dropping out those new, those fibers that they had sent out. They can't maintain all those fibers and nerve fibers. And so when they start dropping out, then they start getting weak again. So in other words, what you've been able to do to kind of counteract the effects of polio as a youngster or as a young adult, basically as you age, the aging process kind of contributes to the fact that you're, you're back to almost square one Correct. in terms of the polio? Correct. So basically, who's most likely? I mean, is it every person who's had polio who might get post-polio syndrome? It's probably, interesting enough, there's a, at least one paper showing it's that people who uh, exercise a lot, Really? Uh, yeah. It's almost counterintuitive, right. isn't it? Right. They, they're over-exercising then later on in life, and that's probably contributing to why they're getting weakness, you know, a new weakness then. Um, so that's, we think that's the case, and that's why we try to teach people to use non-fatiguing exercise programs, and there's been several studies showing that that's beneficial. Give me an example of a non-fatiguing exercise protocol. Uh, so you have to teach people, well, you want to strengthen, obviously, the weakened muscles, so you have to teach people to use like about 25% of their strength, you know, not That's 100%, right? And do and then do short duration exercises with repetitions. So that's what we mean by non-fatiguing exercise program. What happens to these people, though, over time? In other words, you run a clinic now that, that basically addresses mm -hmm. people with post-polio syndrome. Help us understand what you do in terms of recommendations for their lives and what are the complications that they face. So we do try to teach them how to do these non-fatiguing exercises so that they can strengthen, actually strengthen some of their extremities and yet not make things worse. You know, some people were out there, they go see a physical therapist and they get put on an exercise bike and they overdo things and they can hardly walk that day and it takes them a couple of days to recover and that's what you want to prevent. Uh, we don't have any specific, say, medications right now, but like we're in a trial now with a, a medication called IVIG 
Um, it's an immunoglobulin. So we're starting to do trials in post-polio patients. What's the thought there? What would that do for, for the patient? One, the thought is that there might, there might be inflammation that's contributing to the problem, and that would stop the inflammation. So bottom line is it is something, and you were not saying who, who gets it. I mean, is it basically everyone who's had polio, or is it random? Or Oh, you said people who do overactive, who've people been very active. People tend to overactive, right, and, and overexercise are more likely to get it. Um, obviously, people you don't want people doing nothing because uh, that's not good either. But you got to kind of meet a halfway point. That's so. Do does things like do things like physical therapy or occupational therapy, if under the right guidance, can those be helpful yes, in helping they, people adjust to they that? They can be very helpful in terms of adjusting and and helping them to stabilize and not continuing to get worse. So, in other words, they may have it; they, it can't be cured necessarily, but they can live. Um, they can adjust to it and live an, uh, basically a normal life. Correct, correct. So is it the kind of thing that, it, as I said, at this point, is it a, it's basically a hopeful, a hopeful picture in terms of people being able to manage this disease? Correct. And, you, you know, it would be interesting for you to come back and tell us a little bit about some of the research. You're involved in clinical trials right now. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this one with IVIG is the main one we're involved in right now, although we're also... Uh, looking at growth factors, and, and they seem to help in animal models. And so we probably, hopefully, will be able to try that eventually in patients. In the little bit of time we have left, just looking at the big picture worldwide, do you see it as a hopeful picture in terms of the suppression and, and conquest of polio, or do you worry about it kind of raising its ugly head again? Yeah, no, I th- it's, I'm, I'm really hopeful that we're going to be able to get rid of it totally. But, um, you know, that... It's hard right now because the areas like Afghanistan and Pakistan are areas that are very remote up in the mountains, and it's hard to get to those people to give them vaccine, and most of them won't take vaccine. Right. <laughs> so right. that's the problem. But I th- I'm hopefully we'll be able to cure it. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your expertise and this whole historical perspective on polio and now post-polio syndrome. My guest has been Dr. Burke Jubelt. He's professor of neurology as well as professor of microbiology and immunology and neuroscience at Upstate Medical University. Thank you. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.